Welcome to Kitchen Table Conversations, a series of short and shareable conversation starters for those of us who have or love and support people with a complicated and beautiful brain. Here's your host, Angela Geddes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Kitchen Table Conversations. This is Angela here, and I'm just so happy that you guys have all chosen to share some time with me today. Um, I have to be honest, I wasn't entirely um, sold on the idea of doing this podcast. Um, This is not something that's really within my comfort zone. However, I am really, really happy that I did because people are talking. People are bringing these conversations back to their kitchen tables. And that was the point. And, um, And also, I've been you know, connected with people that otherwise I never would have. Last week alone, I was in touch with two different people from Texas who were talking to me about some of the global mental health issues and system navigation difficulties, and certainly um, the topic around neurodivergence and building more inclusive service delivery systems remains a really pointed topic that, you know, really affects so many of us. So I'm just once again so thankful that that we're here today. And today is right smack in the middle of Neurodiversity Celebration Week. Um, And this is a worldwide initiative aimed to challenge some of our biases and some of our misconceptions around neurological conditions and some of the overlapping characteristics um, with other mental health conditions, for example, and to highlight some of the differences, and then to take some time to sort of acknowledge and certainly to celebrate some of these differences. Um, And the overall goal is to continue to promote equity and to work towards inclusion so that everybody has a sense of belonging, which I think is just so very, very important. So neurodiversity includes a number of different things, um, but I think the real definition and, and what does qualify is still kind of up for debate. But I think originally it was, um, it was a term used to describe people who fell on the autism spectrum disorder. But when we think of neurodiversity, we think of things, obviously, that are more diverse than just autism spectrum disorder. So it can include things like ADHD, dyslexia, epilepsy, language disorders, for example, Tourette's and Tick syndrome, intellectual disabilities, potentially, and certainly fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And some would say that an acquired uh, neurodiverse um, or divergent condition as a result of a traumatic brain injury, for example, might also qualify. But again, the irony a little bit for me is that we're talk- the goal of, of the term neurodivergence is to work towards inclusion and reduce our biases, but yet we're still trying to figure out who is included within this, within this group or within this terminology. I wanted to share an example uh, with you all just to kind of highlight the amount of work that we still have to do in this area. So I was invited to participate in a really small group of neurodiverse affirming clinicians. And I've got to be honest, I was so excited to get this invitation because I was really looking forward to hanging out with other clinicians who were like-minded, who understood that, you know, some of these extra complexities and the unique nuances that individuals with neurodivergent conditions experience on the day-to-day. However, it didn't take me long to to really clue into the fact that we weren't really celebrating or acknowledging diversity in terms of neurological conditions. In fact, the people who were gathering were there specifically for autism spectrum disorder. And it's fine if that's what 
you know, were there for. But I got invited because people did understand, some people in the group did understand that I have a particular passion and interest in some of our more subtle and hidden conditions like fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, which I may want to add right now that the prevalence rates of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder are two and a half times that of autism spectrum disorder. But again, everybody on either spectrum needs support and understanding and uh, us all to to work together to build more inclusive service delivery systems. But I really felt like I didn't belong. Um, There were actually questions brought up at the group as to whether or not FASD should qualify as a neurodivergent condition. And there were clinicians there who were actually retired social workers who were still acting in a professor role in like well-established universities across the country who admitted that they really didn't know enough about FASD and felt that because it was something that wasn't organic or wasn't something that was naturally occurring, that it shouldn't actually qualify as a neurodivergent condition. Well, you can imagine that that didn't sit very well with me. Because once again, we were sitting with a group of people where, you know, we were debating on who can be included and who can't be. And I, as a clinician, felt like I wasn't included in this group. So it wasn't a comfortable feeling, and it really did hit me in the heart. (laughs) I do recognize that neurodiversity is a relatively new concept, and it's evolving. But really and truly, I've always said, um, you know, we're not always going to get diagnostic clarity for everyone. But if we do a better job of screening and identifying and really trying to meet people where they're at, recognizing some of those more complex and unique um, presentations like sensory processing issues, complex language difficulties, maybe dismaturity or some social difficulties, affect dysregulation, etc., people will do better. And I've often said it really doesn't matter what caused the problem, whether it's a traumatic brain injury, whether it's organic, whether it's genetic, whether it's alcohol or other toxic substances that have interfered with um, development. It really doesn't matter what caused the issues. The bottom line is what really matters is that we identify the issues and we offer support in a compassionate and inclusive way. And the question came up um, again with this group of therapists around whether or not FASD was a naturally occurring condition. And again, I just kind of shook my head because to the individuals who's ex- the individuals who are experiencing the impact of prenatal exposures um, that affect development, I mean, it's pretty naturally occurring to them. So what difference does it make, right? Um, it's just so odd to me that people wouldn't be able to use the term or to be able to indicate that they have uh, a neurodivergent condition just like everybody else. Their brain works a little bit differently. Um, But there are tremendous strengths and there are specific areas of challenge and we will do better when we understand them all. So we've talked before, um, you know, there continues to be a significant stigma that's associated with FASD in particular. There's a stigma still uh, with all mental health conditions and other developmental disabilities as well. Um, And this can't be ignored. But when you do add alcohol to the mix, it does highlight things and it does present barriers to services. It does make assessment 
um, more difficult and, um, you know, people are resistant to asking the question about prenatal exposures and people are resistant and sometimes fearful of the system. So there are reasons why um, there is an additional barrier for people who have been impacted by prenatal alcohol exposure. But we do have to remember and bring back to our conversations around our own kitchen tables that, um, you know, the prevalence rates of FASD are higher than, as I said, autism, um, but also cerebral palsy, Tourette syndrome, and Down syndrome combined. So it's fascinating to me that with such high prevalence rates and the ability to prevent with the right information and the right supports, it is still fascinating to me why we have to struggle to be included in even something as simple as whether or not it qualifies as a neurodivergent condition. So clearly, um, you know, in my efforts to build capacity and offer training and to continue with awareness activities, my goal is to create an inclusive community and service delivery systems. So therefore, my vote is that when we talk about neurodivergence, FASD is definitely a part of the community and um, that people who are experiencing the impact of prenatal alcohol exposures do not need to be excluded once again. I think it's also really important to understand that very often FASD and autism coexist. And so, uh, again, you know, I've said before that with 80% of women in childbearing years consuming alcohol and over 50 to 60% of pregnancies being unplanned, the risk of alcohol interfering with development with people who have autism spectrum disorder is pretty high as well. And, you know, sometimes, um, you know, we know that even small amounts uh, of alcohol alter development in DNA. So the symptoms can be a little more subtle, but quite impactful to the individual. And once again, we're not always clear on what the condition might be that's resulting in these symptoms, but very often there is an overlap between autism spectrum disorder and FASD. And very often some of these subtle presentations that we think are related to autism could actually be um, a result of a direct result from prenatal alcohol exposure. So there is, um, you know, I've, I've been a coordinator of an assessment clinic for FASD in the past, and I have seen many times where people have been diagnosed with autism um, in addition to FASD, and they certainly, as I said, can co- coexist. But let's face it, autism spectrum disorder is an easier diagnosis to make for people because it doesn't involve asking the question about alcohol use, and it doesn't involve some of that extra stigma and the difficulties. And that's where our community, um, you know, our communities are so much more aware and inclusive of people with autism spectrum disorder. And now this is not to create an us against them. As I said before, everybody who is neurodivergent needs to be better understood and supported in good ways. And there's a lot of work that we need to do for everyone. Um, So this isn't just an FASD thing. The point of this kitchen table conversation is to raise awareness and and to help people understand that alcohol is a big part of our culture. And if we reduce that and work on prevention and helping people to understand the risks associated with even small amounts, we can make a tremendous difference um, moving forward. And we can certainly do our best to continue to build, um, you know, systems with that, have fewer wrong doors.
So check out my website for a few articles on neurodiversity and FASD that I think you might find helpful. And, um, and yeah, please bring this conversation back to your own kitchen tables and let's work together to continue to advocate for better understanding and increased awareness, especially during this week celebrating neurodivergence. With many thanks, Angela. Angela.